I'm not trying to be a cool, trendy preacher who sits down. Uh, last week, you see all me almost pass out here on the stage from sickness, and for whatever reason, it's come back again. So last week, God used the sermon, so I thought, well, let's do it again. Uh, I still feel pretty ill. I don't know what's going on. Our family's got a lot of stuff floating around. I don't know what it is, but you know, praise God we're here. I can sit down today. I don't normally do it. It's okay with that, right? We're going to get in the Word. It's going to be good. And uh, Pastor John is ready to tag team in up here, and if that has to happen, it has to happen. Uh, so we're going to get as far as we can go. And by the way, from the sermon last week, the discussions have been really good from Revelation 7 about what does it look like for EBF to flourish as a multi-ethnic gospel-shaped church. And we're going to keep, we're going to keep nailing that one. We're going to keep talking about that in our groups and among the leadership so that we're not done with that yet. Um, before we get going this morning, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, there's a lot going on uh, in our lives and a lot in our world, and we want to start um, uh, with what your word says about praying for kings and all who are in high positions. And Father, as many leaders come to the office and the president on down, we ask you a variety of requests, uh, that they would know you through faith in Christ, that they would lead with fairness and, and justice and mercy and most of all wisdom. And may we keep reminding uh, ourselves, Lord, that we ultimately bow and serve King Jesus alone. And may our hearts be aligned to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Lord, I just ask you would be with us this morning as we get into your word. A lot of, a lot of good things in here. And, and just help me to get as far as you want me to go uh, physically here. Show me mercy. And just be with us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. What will it take to make someone repent like how bad does it have to get in their lives for them to repent I mean in fact how bad does it have to get in your life before you repent of something you need to repent of think about the people you're praying for who don't know Christ and you ever ask yourself how bad does it have to get in their lives before they are finally going to repent repentance is you're going one way you're following the ways of the world the ways of Satan and by God's grace, he wakes you up and you start going the other way. And a lot of you can say that what happened in your life was a, uh, what happened is that something bad happened, some tragedy happened, and it caused you to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you wonder about the person you're praying for to be saved right now. How bad does it have to get before they finally repent? Well, that's the question I've been asking as I've been studying the Bible uh, in Revelation 8 and 9, because there's some pretty bad stuff going on, and it keeps happening over and over again, and you kind of wonder, how bad things got to get before those in the end times repent? And I think it's a good question for us. How bad do things have to get before we repent? We've been in the book of Revelation since the fall, and right now we find ourselves in chapters 8 and 9. We're going to cover a lot of material today, a lot of text today, uh, two chapters, and what we're, right now, we're in this concept of the seals, and we're moving on to the trumpets. See the trumpets up here in our banners? You see them? Seven trumpets? And what you have with the seals and the trumpets is you have, like, birth pangs. And for any women who have ever been in labor before, you know they, they get faster and faster moving on up until the delivery. And so we have, um, it's like, this, with regard to the, with the seals, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, and then the seven seals open, then it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
trumpets, the seven trumpets. You see, it's picking up the pace. And that's what we're finding in the book of Revelation is the pace is being picked up as the judgments are coming down near the end of the world. Now, for those of you who are confused about Revelation like I am, let me kind of set the stage, let you know that we're in the tribulation. Chapters 6 all the way to 19 are talking about the tribulation, kind of the seven-year period before Christ comes back. That's where we're at, and that's where we're at today. But a lot of bad stuff starting to happen in chapter 8 and 9, and we're asking the question, will they repent, the unbelievers near the end of the world? So here's the, the outline we're going to go through this morning and put it up for you. We have the sovereignty of God in judgment, the demonic torture of those who worship false gods, and the question we're always asking is, will people repent? All right, you ready to do this? We're going to jump into Revelation. I'm not going to read it all at once too much. We'll read it all eventually, though, throughout the whole sermon. Revelation 8, verse 1, start with the sovereignty of God and judgment. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. You know, before a, a, a verdict is read in a courtroom, there's silence waiting for what it's going to be. And now there's silence in heaven. What is God about to do? What kind of judgment is he about to bring? And not only is there silence in heaven waiting on the judgment of God, but there's silence in heaven because the prayers of the saints are going up before the Father. Keep in mind the prayers of the saints are on the earth during the tribulation. They are suffering and the prayers are going up to the Father. And all of heaven is silent as the prayers come up to the Father. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So you say we have the seven angels were given, this, uh, given a trumpet, and a, and a lone angel with a golden censer, a bowl full of incense, which he burns at the golden altar. And the smoke of the incense along with the prayers of the saints will rise before God on his throne. And it's as if all of heaven is silent, waiting to see how God is going to respond to the prayers of his people and bring judgment on the earth and vindication. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. <laughs> so you got this? Prayers go up. Judgment comes down. The prayers of God's people go up to him. He responds. The judgments come down near the end of the world. This is the tribulation period. And you may wonder, what's, what's all this judgment? Jesus is my Savior. I don't view him much as a, as a judge. And you know I'm a Savior, but know this. God's going to judge evil and wickedness, and we are part of that evil. All humans have sinned. All humans need a Savior. And as evil is being judged, that's part of God's holy character must bring judgment to those who do not trust Christ for salvation. For those of you tr who trust Christ for salvation, you're safe in Christ but here near the end of the world is a variety of unbelievers not repenting and down comes 
the judgment. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. It's like an arrival of a dignitary, right? You blow these trumpets as the king comes in. And now we're blowing the trumpets as the, Jesus is about to come. And now comes the judgments. Now as we go to these seven trumpets, I, I want to tell you something. There's going to be a temptation for you to interpret them symbolically. But I want to encourage you not to do that unless the, t- the, the Bible t- uh, tips you off that it's symbolic. Because a lot of what we're going to read is similar to the plagues in Egypt. Were the plagues in Egypt symbolic? Or did the water really turn to blood? Were there really an infestation of frogs? And did hail really come down in locusts and darkness? I think that was all real in Egypt. And I think it's real here near the end times unless the text tips us off that it's symbolic. So let's go with trumpet number one. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and there were thrown upon the earth and then a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. It's got hail and fire mixed with blood coming down and, and scorching a third of the earth and trees and green grass. And you, you can think about... Um, it's like a forest fire multiplied on a mass scale like the Amazon, the Congo, or um, Yosemite, and Yellowstone all burned down. Look at the second trumpet, verses 8 and 9. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. It wasn't a, a, a great mountain, but it was like something like a great mountain. You see the word like there. And that was on fire and it was thrown into the sea. And now the sea became like blood. And a third of the sea creatures died. A third of the ships were destroyed. This is terrible. This is terrible stuff happening near the end of the world. And don't forget the question, will the unbelievers repent? All this terrible stuff is happening. Will they repent? Third trumpet, verses 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. This great star is named Wormwood, which is like a a bitter tasting plant. And it made a third of the drinking water bitter, resulting in the death of many due to the thirst or drinking poisonous water. You you can think uh, like the Flint, uh, Michigan water crisis broadened out to a a worldwide water crisis. Will people repent? Fourth trumpet, verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And now it's dark. It's darker during the day and darker still at night. A third of the sun, the moon, and the stars are, are, are darkened. And why is this happening? I don't, I mean, you could see it as human calamities like the fires and smoke from wars or, or more natural calamities like the, the smoke from volcanic uh, eruptions. Or maybe God's just doing this in his sovereign power and darkening the elements in judgment. Will the unbelievers repent? I'm going to tip you off of something. Egypt. Remember all the stuff that was happening, all the plagues? Did Pharaoh 
repent. No. His heart was hard. And they missed it all. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you say, look, ma'am, you got a lot of crazy stuff going on in your life right now, and you're into a lot of bad stuff, and your life's kind of miserable. How bad does it have to get before you repent? And I know some of you are into some stuff you shouldn't be into, and some things are pretty hard in your life, and, and I want to ask you, how bad does it have to get before you repent? I was once talking to a guy who was, who was steeped in some, uh, some very dangerous immorality. He was on the, on the verge of losing his business, his wife, and his family. And it's like, dude, how bad does it have to really get before you repent? Well, as this is some pretty serious stuff going on here in the book of Revelation, I think it's appropriate uh, that we now uh, enter uh, and listen to a talking eagle, right? How about that? Look at verse 13, a talking eagle. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, this is a vision, remember? You see some freaky stuff in visions. And here we have this, this eagle crying out, announcing these woes. And, and when you hear the word woe, it basically means bad stuff's about to happen. From God, he's going to bring judgment. You better repent. Woe, woe, woe. And these opening of the seals brought calamity. And now we've done the first four trumpets. But now the last three trumpets, remember those birth pangs are kind of ratcheted up. They're moving faster and faster in intensity. And so the last trumpets are combined with these, these three woes. And, and keep in mind, God is in control and sovereign over all this. And now we're getting some, some really, really challenging uh, and scary, scary, scary stuff. What we're about to read as we move into chapter 9 is, is stuff that nightmares are made of. Um, these are not the stories you want to read to your kids before bed unless you like to mess with them. This is not what you want to read. This is some really scary stuff here in, in chapter 9. So we're, we're about to move into the demonic torture of those who worship false gods. I want you to make sure you understand how ridiculous this is. People who worship false gods and demons are about to be tortured by those they worship. Will they finally repent? <laughs> I'm worshiping this thing and it's torturing me. Will I finally repent? Well, that's the question. Let's see what happens. Verse 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now remember, you, you take the text at face value unless something else tips you off. And so when it says a star fell down, you think, okay, some star must have fallen from heaven. But look what the text uh, tips you off because it says that this star is a person or a spiritual being. Uh, look at it again. Look at verse 1 again. It said, I saw a star fall from heaven to earth, and you see it there? He. So the text is tipping us off. Oh, the star is something symbolic. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, who is this He. 
well, maybe it's an angel, or maybe it's uh, like a, a demon. But it, it's probably, probably, I could be wrong here, it's probably Satan. So I'm going to go with either a demon or Satan, because when you see the events that follow, it's going to make more sense. All right, so here we go. So Satan, at this point, has a key. And he has a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So imagine this key that goes to a top of a well, okay? And you open the well, and the shaft goes down. And out of this bottomless pit, we're going to see what's going to come. Basically, it's, it's, it's almost the imagery of like, there's this, it's hell, okay? Bottomless pit, shaft, the key. Let's see what comes out of this pit. And then this is where the nightmares really get going. Verse 2. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of the great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. So this is, I mean, it's like stuff movies are made of. You open it up, and out comes smoke, and it's out, it's, it's darkening the sun, and the air is darkening. And, and what we're going to find in the, in the following verses, more than any other chapter in the entire Bible, you're going to find the words, as and like. The word as and like you'll find in this chapter more than anywhere else in the entire Bible because John's trying to describe stuff. He's like, it's like this. It's like this. So for those of you who like to say the word like a lot, this is for you. Verses 3 through 11. Let's read a lot of it. Here we go. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and, and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he's called Apollyon. Wow. These locust creatures, I think, are demons. And they're coming up from this bottomless pit, and they're, they're, they're attacking unbelievers for five months. And I think we're tipped off that they're, they're demons, not only by the description, but they're not like locusts that are going to eat <laughs> plants or vegetation. But these locusts are going after humans. And their leader, if you notice it there, is the angel of the bottomless pit who is named Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek. It's probably a reference to either a higher-ranking demon or, or it's likely a Satan who is out to destroy those who follow him. And John says that the demons, well, they look like horses prepared for battle, the wearing them, they look like these crowns of gold, and their faces, they're like humans, and wearing like breastplates of iron, and like they're noisy like chariots, 
And their weapon seems to be that they're like scorpions, which is excruciatingly painful if anybody's ever been stung by a scorpion. And, and get this, they can't harm believers. They can't harm believers who have the seal of God on their forehead because they are marked off as God as children. But they can torment unbelievers for five months. So much to the point, now this is the part I don't understand, so much to the point that unbelievers want to die, but they can't. They're even unable to take their own life. They just can't. They're being tormented for five months. But get this. But in God's sovereignty, he limits the suffering at five months. Perhaps the earth dwellers will repent. Perhaps they'll say, why are we continuing to follow Satan and worship these false gods when he's the one tormenting? Why, why would we do that? Maybe they'll repent. And now we have the sixth trumpet, the second woe, verses 12 through 14. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now we're back to the golden altar before God. It's reminding us of his mercy. He's hearing the prayers of the saints. And these four angels, likely are demons, are released from the boundary at the great river Euphrates, which is often where ancient enemies came of Assyrians, Babylonians, Parthians. But I want you to notice once again God's sovereignty and timing as you see the appointed judgment in verse uh, 15. So the four angels who had prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So all, even though these are demonic forces going out, God is over this. He's sovereign over the year, the month, the day, and the hour that the angels would be released to kill a third of mankind. Now the vision of the four angels, it, it morphs into another demonic army in verse 16. Here comes another demonic army. Look at, uh, army, look at verse 16. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. This is similar to the fifth trumpet, but now it's an army of 200 million demons. Maybe it's humans, but it's likely demons sent out to kill. And then John tries to describe their appearance as well. Listen for the words like, verses 17 through 19. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So John is describing these horses and riders as wearing breastplates, and the heads of the horses were like uh, lions' heads and fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. Had these tails, and they wound, but it's not a, it's not a lethal uh, weapon. And you have the fire and the smoke and the sulfur that were come out of their mouths, and they killed a third of mankind. So in the seals, remember we're going this birth pain thing going on, bop, 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 and then in the seals, a fourth of mankind was killed, and now a third of those who were left were killed. With so much destruction going on the earth near the end of the world, God is sovereign, 
and you have these demonic forces, surely now, once and for all, people are going to repent, right? They're finally going to repent. Let me tell you a story. In 2002, there was this group of Bible scholars. They went down to Cuba, and they were teaching at a Bible conference there in 2002. And they were invited to meet Fidel Castro. And the meeting was scheduled from 11 p.m. at night to 2 in the morning. So these Bible scholars go and meet with uh, Fidel Castro. They're like, wow, we have to go meet with Castro. What's going on? This... So they, they, they go there, and Castro's like, tell me about the book of Revelation. And he, he, he's asking about these chapters here. And he wants to know about the specific judgments. And one of the, the, the scholars there is explaining to them, you know, one of the purposes of these visions is a wake-up call to repent. A wake-up call to repent. And as he's explaining this to Castro, the Castro says, you know, I see that you are, you know, evangelicals. What does that mean? And so they spent the rest of the time presenting the gospel to him, and then they prayed as a group, and then they left. And I thought, you know, that's a good description of what's going on here. Yes, this is going to happen in the end times, but it's a wake-up call to repent. It's a wake-up call to the people in the end times to repent. I think it's a wake-up call to all of us today to repent. And the question was still on the table. Will people repent? <laughs> well, let's finish up and see. This is the very last. Verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, oh, there it is, did not repent. Did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. There it is again. Nor did they repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. Can you believe it? After all that calamity, all the crazy stuff, people being killed and demonic torture, I mean, you, all the crazy stuff, they are not repenting. They're still worshiping demons and idols. And these idols are dead. They, and these demons are attacking them. And they're like, yes, we still want to worship you. Like, that, that makes such no sense. Does it go to show you the depravity of humanity that that which we worship sometimes wants to attack us and hurt us, and yet we still keep worshiping it? And I, I don't know what's in your life, but I do wonder, is there anything right now that you are into that's hurting you and you know you know it's not just wrong okay you know it's not you know it's wrong you know it's it's just not morally right but it's hurting you and yet you keep doing it there's no turning away from it and that's the nature of idolatry it starts out fine but your idols will turn on you I guarantee you, your idols will turn on you. And if you're into something right now 
where it's finally, you're like, wow, my idol has clearly turned on me. My life is falling apart. I'm into something I shouldn't be into. How bad does it have to get? How bad does it have to get before you turn away and turn back to Christ for forgiveness? How bad does it have to get? And maybe you're thinking, uh, just a little bit worse. Why continue? We just read two whole chapters of something that is very ridiculous. People continuing to worship demons and idols that are torturing them. And I know it's not that dramatic for you, but I guarantee you there are probably some idols in your life right now that are torturing you. But the good news is you can turn away from that and you can receive forgiveness in Jesus you can receive grace and mercy and you can receive freedom. Jesus died for idol worshipers and I am foremost an idol worshiper. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for sinners who are idol worshipers. You can turn away and find forgiveness in Christ today. You can say, you know what? I'm going to quit doing this foolishness, this silliness of worshiping things that are torturing me. You can find forgiveness and freedom today or will you be like Pharaoh or those in the end time where you harden your heart and it said of you he did not repent she did not repent she preferred a life of misery he preferred a life of bondage May that not be said of you. May that not be written of you. May that not be true of you. May we be those who turn away from that which is harming us and turn to Christ who loves us, forgives us, and welcomes us. Let's pray. Lord, it is amazing how you give so much grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Especially in these two chapters of great torment upon the earth. And yet I see mercy and grace because you, you allow people chances to repent still. And it's unfortunate that they don't. So Lord, I, I just ask, I, I pray for my, a brother in here uh, who may be into something he shouldn't be into. And it's just, it's just hurting him. May he turn to Christ for forgiveness. And I pray for a sister in here, maybe in something, into something that's really hurting her. May she turn to Christ for grace. Lord, just stir us up right now as we are about to take communion and we're about to continue to worship. And that's, these are just even more opportunities to repent and receive forgiveness. You're giving us even a prolonged opportunities to repent and receive forgiveness. And I just ask that you would be with us, Lord, during this time of uh, communion and worship. In Christ's name, amen.